Okay, you're listening to 2XX Behind the Lines Community Radio. I'm Kerry James and today I'm on the phone with Warwick Jordan, a Huon Valley Environment Centre spokesperson. Hi Warwick. How are you going? Okay, how are you? Not too bad. That's good. Um, you were just in the process of telling me about your radio show down there, which is a good place to start, I think. And um, what do you cover most weeks? Yeah, that's right. Um, myself and um, two other forest campaigners, um, they were made executives from a group called Still Wild, Still Threatened, and another friend, Simon Bradigan, who's from Environment Tasmania. Uh, we do a, a weekly show called Grassroots Eco Radio where we spend most of our time talking about forest, local forest issues, climate change, um, whaling and associated things, and then bagging out Peter Garrett the rest of the time. Wow, so he's That's a... He went to the substance of our show. He's not the most popular man in, in Tasmanian forest activist circles these days. So why? What's he said? What's he done or hasn't done? Well, um, Peter has spent most of his time screwing around dealing with serious issues like plastic bags which he can't even get right and then spends the rest of his time saying how great the pulp mill is and what a what a great way or what a great thing the RFA is. It seems to be pretty much the, the Labor Party's moniker at the moment is all the way with RFA and that's been pretty much confirmed by that. Well, definitely confirmed by our local members down here and Peter Garrett's not doing anything about it. The, the worst thing that he's done recently, we've had had some um, pretty big pretty big bickies going on down here. About three years ago, the Human Valley Environment Centre started a, a process where we contacted the World Heritage Committee and the IUCN because we were concerned about logging operations occurring along the World Heritage Area boundary in places like the, the Weld and the Upper Florentine. And um, the culmination of, of that work and some lobbying by the Wilderness Society meant that the World Heritage Committee sent a team out to assess the, the threats from logging and burning on the World Heritage Area and also the, the potential trashing of like the North Weld, which could be included in the World Heritage Area in the future. And they sent this scientific team down and uh, the Friday before they got here, Peter Garrett and, um, and the good people at WWF put out a report um, which was about the, the biodiversity um, conservation success of Australia, saying what a great job Tasmania was doing in terms of um, protecting large amounts of forests and, um, and other biodiversity havens. And so it was really poor timing. And, um, and Garrett's office and also the state government down here has been, um, been quite active in um, saying what a great job forestry is doing in looking after the World Heritage Area boundary and um, yeah, the, the reverse is the case. That's one of the reasons why we don't like Peter Garrett. There's plenty of others. The most interesting thing we've been doing... Um, well, actually, people would probably love to hear about this one. Um, Peter Garrett came down to... Tasmania, um, it's just prior to the election. We had the hassle of the Jesus out there to get a meeting. We previously, um, myself and a colleague had been to Canberra to try and, try and get a meeting with him and ended up only showing the advisors. But he came down to Tasmania and didn't want to meet us. So we sent the World Angel out there to give him a bit of hassle. And then, um, and subsequently, 
uh, Ego and the tree for us to ride and, you know, the requisite sound system that um, there's a dirty and all those kind of things that people generally have to go with. But the highlight was that we had four platters of, of wood chips with um, Garrett's balls on them and um, we all had massive patches and head saying no balls Garrett and got to, um, got to pretty much cane him about his... Um, about his lack of balls in, in standing up and has his forest. But mm-hmm. if you talk to the man, he's, um, he'll tell you that, you know, he knows that the Southern Forest of Tasmania inside out and, you know, he, he spent as much time there as anyone and et cetera, et cetera, which is highly dubious. But the fact of the matter is that he's not doing anything about Tassie's forest. So what what is the situation there then for Tassie's forest? Like what what is happening Um, 
I did want to ask you about the the Weld Angel because that's something that I know about, and um, I'm wondering, is she back in action now? Is she? Um, no, the the Weld Angel, Lana Belton, she's actually up in Newcastle at the moment. Um, her partner Ben Meyer is a long-term forest activist who's been involved in in a lot of good things up in um, up in New South Wales and also in Tasmania for quite a number of years. Who's um, got a serious illness and so they've moved up there to be closer to um to Ben and Lana's family. So um, the the world angels uh, she she's um do, doing um, good things up in Newcastle, but she's out of action in terms of Tasmania at the moment, but. I've got a bit of a general question as well. I seem to recall that in Tasmania, napalm is used to bomb the forests with from helicopters. Is that true? Um, yeah, it's not exactly napalm, but it's a, a napalm-like jelly petrol substance that Forestry Tasmania uses to, um, to ignite regeneration burns. So briefly, the... The situation in the 1950s, there was a couple of couple of theses written by forestry by foresters um, trying to work out the most effective way to get eucalypts to grow really quickly. They decided that if you clear fell and then set fire to the place, um, eucalypts grow the quickest afterwards. And so, it is a cheap and nasty and effective way of creating timber, but it's. Um, a really ineffective way of looking after biodiversity or in this day and age retaining carbon and so it's become quite a big issue. Every every autumn time there's pools of smoke that hang over the, the various valleys and cities of Tasmania and that's a result of, um, of forestry regeneration burns and there is a lot of obfuscation effectively from the industry um, trying to confuse the difference between fuel reduction burns and regeneration burns and they're quite successful in this but this year, this, this autumn time it's been, um, been a um, very negative one in terms of publicity for Forestry Tasmania um, we're doing our best to make it that way as well there's, um, there's been quite a, quite a focus on um, the issue of how forests are, um, or the issue of forests and climate change, basically. And we've been trying to stoke the flames of that one, so to speak. Um, last week, myself and, and a colleague from Environment Tasmania organised a forest and climate forum where um, with a um, bit of good luck and a little bit of good management, we managed to get representatives from Forestry Tasmania, from Timber Communities Australia, uh, a couple of conservation groups, and um, a, a conservation group and a local climate change um, group, and then also an academic from Utah. We managed to draw a crowd of about 200 people and get um, quite a significant amount of media about it. So that's definitely helped to try and raise the profile of the issue a little bit. It's um. It's looming as a, a really big one in terms of um, potentially getting some forest protected and also addressing our climate change responsibilities as well. In Tasmania, the situation is a little bit different to, to on the mainland because a lot of our emissions come from forestry. It's pretty hard to get accurate figures given the, given the, the dodginess of the accounting by the Australian Greenhouse Office and the, the general confusion that 
Canadian lift of um, of climate change, um, of climate emissions, but potentially it's the first. It's just hard to get good data. But first, with Tasmania, um, I'm pretending that the process of cutting down forests and replanting them with fast-growing species is good for climate change. And really, the reality is that um, it's true that young trees absorb more carbon than um, than older trees, but the older trees have got a much larger stock of biomass and. Um, therefore they store a lot more carbon in them and what happens when you cut down a, a tall old growth eucalypt forest which has got between 1100 and 1600 tons of carbon in it is that most of that gets released and it takes at least a couple of hundred years to sequester that and on the on the type of rotations that get run down here which is between 25 and 80 years then you've got no chance of sequestering that carbon and so Forestry Tasmania and the, the state government as well are effectively trying to hoodwink the public by saying that logging is good for climate change and it definitely isn't. So that's one of the things that um, we're trying to dispel that myth and also it's a good opportunity in future years to, to try and get some forest protected for their carbon value. It's already been recognised in some places. There's, um, there's a an international um, declaration called Forest Now that was signed at the Bali Climate Conference and it involves um, quite a few um, provinces, provinces and states as well as a number of scientists and Nobel Prize winners and so forth. And um, states like um, Papua and Aceh in Indonesia and Amazonas in Brazil, which um, you'd imagine would have political situations and aggressive logging companies that would be at least on par, if not more aggressive than in Tasmania. Um, the governors of those places have said that they're going to suspend logging operations until carbon uh, carbon sequestration potential of forests can be assessed. And so we've got the situation where third world countries are doing these things and we've got Tasmania, um, a state in a first world nation which isn't doing these things and so it seems um seems quite hypocritical for um for people like Peter Garrett um to be going around the world and Penny Wong as well saying um we're telling other people to stop cutting down their forests for the climate potential where um we're still trashing some um some pretty amazing carbon sinks down here in Tasmania. Is that in the name of paper or pulp mills or what? Yeah, the the situation in Tasmania is um, it's virtually identical to um, to the logging situation in um, in native forests in New South Wales or Victoria. Um, between eighty, well, I'll put my conservative hat on and say between seventy five and ninety percent of wood chips uh, of um, native forests get turned into wood chips. And so we've got the the situation, which is um you know been the situation for a long time, and the the logic or the illogic of me just the illogic of it just completely bewilders me a lot of the time. But you know the situation where we're selling our um, our forests for a pittance to um to Japan to be turned into tissues and so forth, it's um or or other short term products that um. 
pitch every year that's what it's been over the last five or six years and uh, the Guns Pole Mill is um, going to create a doubling of that situation there's still going to be the same amount of raw wood chips exported and then there's also going to be the same amount of chips pushed through the pole mill as well and, um, and sold as the next um, the next stage in the in the pulping process so the, the pole mill that we're looking at is effectively a, a monster that's going to consume all the all the nice bits of forest to the left and Guns Limited are saying and Forest of Tasmania are saying there's going to be no old growth use in the pole mill which um, well given that the lies that they've um, told in the past you'd have to be a fool to believe but even if that is the case the remaining old growth forests will just be exported more rapidly from the export woodshed terminals and there is also um, a, a forest furnace that's been um, incorporated into the pulp mill that will burn half a million tonnes of woodshed every year to fuel the pulp mill which is um, yeah, pretty medieval technology that they're using there to create electricity and it also has um, has a pretty um, pretty large impact on Tassie's carbon emissions as well. Is there hope in the community that this isn't going to go ahead or is it a fait accompli? Um, well, there's, there's always potential. Obviously, um, you know, you're pushing the proverbial uphill when you've got a, a federal government... Um, with people like Peter Garrett who think it's a great idea and when you've got a state government that's willing to do anything for their mates at guns. We, um, we did quite a good action last year around the time of the uh, when the, the pulp mill legislation was getting pushed through Parliament here and we went up and occupied the head office of Guns Limited in Launceston and um, we had a, had a massive banner that was across the roof saying the real parliament and that got a really good reaction from a lot of people. They, a lot of people really recognise that Guns is actually the ones who run the state, not the, the elected representatives of Tasmania. But as, a, as an example, it would take me quite a while to run through the, the process of all, all the dodgy dealings and corruptions that's resulted. Um, from this pole mill project but probably the the situation that epitomises it most is that the, the state government um, when they were pushing through the pole mill legislation initially they screwed up and they didn't put in compulsory acquisition clauses for associated infrastructure to the mill such as um, outfall pipelines and so this has created the situation where for the mill to get built, there needs to be an outfall pipeline pushed um, from the mill to the coast and it has to run through about 60 properties, about a dozen of which will never ever sell their land to Guns Limited. And so without a compulsory acquisition course, this has created quite a problem because Guns can't take the land. So the state government is... Um, it looks like they will do it, is going to spend $60 million of taxpayer money to build this um, outfall pipeline so that they can compulsorily acquire land, of, um, so they can take people's land to build a pipeline for guns and get taxpayers to pay for it. And this is, you know, it's more or less the final straw. I don't, I don't know how people can, can accept 
accept this kind of thing and the reality is, is that they haven't. Uh, Tasmania, people in Tasmania are, are pretty used to the forestry debate and it's very, it's very polarised but the thing with the pole mill issue is that it's a step beyond the, the usual greenies versus loggers debate and there's a lot of people that are concerned with the state of democracy in Tasmania and effectively the place is run like a corrupt local council and that's that's what happens here. You can see the last two deputy premiers that we've had have been um, sacked. One of them was um, being investigated for a major corruption scandal and the other one lied blatantly to Parliament about um, the sacking of one of his staff members because um, because uh, all of the sacking of a staff member and the appointment of a, of a magistrate which was politically motivated. And so, um, yeah, it gives you a good indication that all is, um, all is pretty rotten down in the Apple Isle in terms of um, the, the political situation in the state government. Is there help from the international front, like World Heritage or something? Well, that's, that's where the potential lies. Um, at the current stage, there's a there's a cyclical process that occurs in the forest debate in Tasmania every five to ten years, and there's a, a situation that builds up for five or ten years where people get more and more unhappy with logging in particular areas, and the areas become iconised, and there's a, a real public cry for protection. And then there's a, a venting that's given that when the the government realises that they need to do something about about this situation and so they, they give a little bit more land but they also make sure that they hang on to some bargaining chips and so what we're seeing now is that places like the, the Well Valley and the Upper Florentine where there's been a, a permanent blockade for the last year or so um, see these areas are held back and they've become the, the latest bargaining chips and uh, the last time that a uh, the venting of the situation was given was after the 2004 state election where Mark Latham and John Howard had very different forest policies. And every time we go through this situation, there's um, this talk that this is the end of the situation and that um, whatever government or organisation has given these reserves, they've, they've fixed the problem forever. And, now the greenies can be happy and the loggers can be happy and we can all get on in one big happy Tasmania. But the reality is quite different because Albra is still getting logged every day in Tasmania. And it seems like we're at a, at a middle stage of the situation now where, where forests, forests have profile and there's, um, there's community anger and there's people out in the forests um, and all the all the requisite ingredients are there for for another set of reserves, but um, there, there's no mechanism for it. But it's possible the ones being created through um, through the the lobbying efforts of people like Hume Valley Environment Centre and the Wilderness Society as well. If um if the World Heritage Committee meeting in July, um, if they decide that logging along the boundary of the World Heritage Area in Tasmania is going to affect the World Heritage Area. Or alternatively, if they decide that um, there, there should be recommendations for areas to be added to the World Heritage Area, then that will put in 
intense pressure on the federal government to to do these things. Obviously, it's only it's only an international treaty. Uh, Australia can ignore it if they want to, but it'd be at their own peril in terms of their international credibility. So it's um it's by no means a sure thing that the World Heritage Committee or its associated organisations will decide that um that these areas should be protected, but it's possible. One of the things that is against the situation of these areas getting recommended for protection is that Australia's got itself on the 27-country World Heritage Committee. And so the last time that this happened um, was in in the late 90s when um, when the Jabaluki uranium mine was... Um, and, and the debate over that was at its height and uh, the Kakadu National Park was put on a list called World Heritage in Danger and this list was originally set up to be able to allow countries that couldn't afford to look after their World Heritage sites um, to be um, to, to provide them funding and so forth to look after their sites and uh, it was incredibly embarrassing for Australia to have this site put uh, to have this national park put on um, on the World Heritage List in danger. And so the, the federal government did lots and lots of dodgy cloak and dagger business and they got on the World Heritage Committee and threw their weight around and, and tried to get this decision reversed. And so it's quite possible that we'll be seeing a repeat of that situation as well. And the World Heritage Committee meeting is in Canada, which is um, generally acts like Australia in these kind of forums and so that's not very encouraging but the encouraging thing is, is there's lots of good people who um, who do really care about about the state of the world's environment and our world heritage sites and so there is um there is definite potential that there will be pressure exerted from um from the international arena on Tasmania in particular in the very near future. And the other the other major hope that we have is that there will be a major shift on forest and climate change. Um, the, the indications that we've been getting from our, our local federal labour representatives, which um, which does appear indicative of the federal position, is that Australia is not going to do anything about forest and climate change until after the 2012 post agreement gets finalised because there's no... no um, no economic or um, or credit incentives or um, or any international um, international recognition or, um, for for doing anything about forest and climate change in the med- in the medium term or in the short term. Sorry, so there needs to be um, there needs to be a lot of pressure brought to bear on our elected representatives to tell them that that's um, that's totally not the way to go and it's a, a ridiculous thing to. Being pretending that you're doing something about climate change while there's old growth forests out there being trashed and releasing huge amounts of carbon. What do you suggest people here, if they're interested in getting involved, should do about that? Well, there's um, there's quite a few things that people can do, and generally it's um it's hard to come up with a new list, but my favourites are um, come to Tasmania if you can. Um, monetary donations are always very appreciated is another thing you can check out www.huon.org if you'd like to donate or to find out a little bit more about what's going on but I think my 
like to, to just vent about something that their party is doing. I think it's a great idea to go and see them. And um, also, anyone who is in the, the Canberra area has ever been to Tasmania and doesn't like to see logging operations or pools of smoke, um, get on the phone to Tourism Tasmania in Hobart or in Launceston, um, get on to local politicians down here and, and also um, federal politicians in Tasmania and tell them how disgusted you are with the logging operations and how you won't spend your tourist dollar down here and those kind of things. And also um, go and see your local representatives, particularly Labor, and go and hassle them and um, just tell them how soft you think Peter Garrett is and how he has no credibility as, um, as an environmental spokesperson. That's one thing that we really need to get across is that um, a lot of people in the broader community still accept Peter Garrett as having environmental credentials and the reality is that he doesn't have any. And so his, um, his actions have um, definitely borne this out. And so any pressure that people can bring to bear on the Labor Party, particularly about their Tasmanian forest policy and also about their stance on forest and climate change is incredibly important. But they're the things that I'd... Um, I definitely encourage people to do. And also, um, it's really important, I think, to, um, to get informed, but also to, um, when you read things and when you're impressed by things, contact the people who've created the, these situations and created these events and just tell them they're doing a good job because it means a lot to a lot of people. The odd email and the odd phone call can definitely keep people going as well. So, um, so check out org. that's H-U-R-N.org, and also have a look at um, www.myspace.com backslash still wild, still threatened. Still wild, still threatened is a relatively new organisation that, um, that looks after the forests of the Durham region, and they're the people who've got the long-range blockade camp established to be up to Florentine, so they're... Um, they're they're good friends of ours and we do a lot of work together and it's, um, yeah, they're, they're flying the flag yeah, as we are in terms of um, getting out there in the forest and, and doing the things that need to be done to stop the destruction of old growth in Tasmania. Everyone, everyone does exactly what they can and that, that's all good. We just like to ask people if they've got a few spare minutes to, um, to make a phone call or... Um, or a few spare dollars to, to throw it our way and it's, um, you know, that's all people can do sometimes. Well, thank you again for tonight's flag flying. Thank you. No worries, sir. Okay.